The America's National Parks Podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun-smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Mount Desert Island in southeastern Maine is home to Bar Harbor, Somme Sound, and Acadia National Park. It's 108 square miles, and Somme Sound is a six-mile-long fjord that divides the island into eastern and western segments. The French explorer Samuel de Champlain named the island for its bare rock mountain summits, for which there are 18. A bridge connects the mainland to the island's roads, bridle paths, and footpaths. Acadia National Park was established on the island in 1919 and was the first national park in the eastern United States at the time. The park protects coasts, intertidal and subtidal zones, lakes and ponds, mountains, wetlands, and night skies. While there is diversity of life in this park, there are also human stories of imagination and innovation. I'm Jason Epperson, and this week on America's National Parks, The Carriage Roads of Acadia. Winding through Acadia's forests and mountains are 45 miles of historic roadways that are only for pedestrians, bicyclists, horseback riders, and carriages. These roads were carefully designed to follow the contours of the landscape and reach scenic vistas. Though enormously popular for recreation today, until recently, it was not well known who had the most prominent role in the development of these roads. John D. Rockefeller Jr. John Rockefeller Jr. is well known for his philanthropy. Over the course of his lifetime, he gave $537 million in gifts to educational, cultural, and medical charity projects. He founded Rockefeller University in New York and bequeathed the site for the United Nations headquarters. Though many people don't know about his love for road building. Rockefeller designed 57 miles of carriage roads on Mount Desert Island between 1913 and 1940. He drew the roads through mountains, across streams and ravines, and around glacially formed lakes. The roads were built with a purpose, admiring the natural beauty of the island, and 17 granite and cobblestone bridges accompanied them. Anne Rockefeller one of John's granddaughters was one of the first people to wonder about Rockefeller's involvement with the development of the roads. In her research for her master's degree in landscape architecture, she realized that he had been highly involved with every stage of the road planning and building process. It's a skill that he learned from his father, the founder of Standard Oil, and one of the richest Americans in history. In 1873, Rockefeller Sr. bought land in Ohio to build a summer house. He landscaped 700 acres and built roads and bridges. Rockefeller Jr. noticed as his father planned roads along the landscape so they could easily accommodate a carriage. Both of the Rockefellers became expert carriage drivers and loved going coaching. Here's Abigail. John D. Rockefeller Jr. went to Brown University and returned to Manhattan to work with his father after he graduated. In 1901, he married Abby Aldrich, the daughter of a Rhode Island senator, and took her on coaching trips in upstate New York. 
In the early 1900s, the monopolistic business practices of Standard Oil began to place scrutiny on Rockefeller Sr. and his family. Attacks by the press began to give Rockefeller Jr. serious anxiety, prompting him to take his wife and baby daughter to the south of France for six months. He continued to take an extended break from work even after they returned. The couple visited Mount Desert in 1908 while they were expecting their third child, who would then be born there. It was soon after that Rockefeller decided to devote his life to philanthropy at age 36. He did not want to continue making money and instead purchased a Tudor-style house in Seal Harbor on Mount Desert Island. By this time, Bar Harbor and Mount Desert had become a hub for social activity, including scientists, botanists, painters, and nature lovers. Rockefeller fell in love with the island and continued to buy property, planning to build roads through the forest to enjoy the landscape more fully. He hiked through the forest to better understand where to route the roads. He hired 60 working crew members to cut the roads 16 feet wide and engineers to build the bridges. Rockefeller was an active participant in the road's construction process, often observing the work in person and interacting with the laborers, whom he knew all by name. Crew members had to quarry the granite by hand and then lay down split granite slabs and rocks as foundation for the road. Clay and gravel was added to the surface before building retaining walls, digging drainage ditches, and installing culverts. The roads are the best example of broken stone roads in America today. These roads were common at the turn of the 20th century and required extensive hand labor to complete. The roads on Mount Desert Island were designed to agree with Maine's wet climate. Stone culverts and wide ditches helped divert water flow and three layers of rock plus a six to eight inch crown helped with draining. The work crews did not flatten land for the roads, but instead built retaining walls to save trees and keep the hillsides. Using what he'd learned from his father in Ohio, Rockefeller graded roads so they were not too curved or too steep for horse-drawn carriages. He designed them to take advantage of scenic views and follow the contours of the landscape. Native vegetation was used on the roadsides, such as sweet fern or blueberries. This also helped the roads blend in with the surrounding landscape. There are a few notable elements that unify the carriage road system on Mount Desert. First, large, rough-cut blocks of granite line the road and act as guardrails. They are often referred to as Rockefeller's teeth. At each intersection, there is a cedar signpost with a lettering to direct carriage drivers in the right direction. Rockefeller also hired a forestry crew that removed debris from the roadsides. Two gate lodges serve as symbols of welcome at Jordan Pond and near Northeast Harbor. And finally, Rockefeller funded the construction of 16 of the 17 stone-faced bridges that span streams, roads, and cliffsides. Though all bridges use steel reinforced concrete with native stone facing, each is named and has a unique design. In 1908, the president of a Harvard and aristocratic naturalist began convincing people to donate their land on Mount Desert to become a national park. In 1914, Eliot wrote to Rockefeller saying, 
I supposed that you appreciate the fact that well-built roads are the most durable works of man. They outlast all other structures and monuments. Rockefeller donated 45 miles of road and 11,000 acres of land to Acadia National Park, which ended up being around a third of the park's acreage. John D. Rockefeller Jr. died in 1960, and the National Park Service assumed responsibility for the historic carriage roads, though it lacked the capacity to maintain them. A Kentucky lawyer named Mr. Winterberg approached the park in 1986 because he wanted to offer carriage rides, but said the roads looked like a Christmas tree farm because of how overgrown they were. Mr. Winterberg won his concession and drove Senator George Mitchell on the roads to show just how bad they were. Senator Mitchell pitched a way to finance the roads by proposing that every dollar the government spent to fix the roads would need to be matched by private dollars. The Friends of Acadia raised $4 million, prompting Congress to allocate money to match. One bridge in particular is used to research a mammal in the park, bats. The Duckbrook Motor Bridge is hollow inside, and it was the last bridge built to complete the historic motor road system in 1953. Inside the bridge, the hollow structure is made up of concrete frames supporting the concrete deck and the three enormous arches that span over the ravine below. The hollow nature of the bridge makes it an excellent habitat for bats. In recent years, bat researchers from the park placed an acoustic recorder inside the bridge. This tool helped them determine what types of bats might live inside. The first recording didn't include any bat sounds at all, but park rangers later put in multiple recorders since the bridge is so large. This monitoring will help wildlife biologists in the park understand if and how bats are using the hollow bridge. In 2019, Acadia National Park extended the restoration process to the historic carriage road bridges. Partnering with the National Park Service Historic Preservation Training Center, the park started cleaning and repairing some of the bridges. The team cleans the stone masonry using biological cleaning solution and removes deteriorating mortar joints. Removed joints are repointed with mortar that matches the historic version in color, texture, and composition. My name is Gail Gladstone. I'm the Cultural Resource Program Manager at Acadia National Park. The carriage road bridges and the carriage road system as a whole was built by John D. Rockefeller Jr. between 1913 and 1940. So the bridges, some are over 100 years old. Most of them are coming up on 80 to 100 years. And what's happening is the mortar, what holds the, the granite together is starting to fail. Water seeps in and ends up cracking the mortar and when it freezes in the winter, it you know exasperates issues. What the park has done in the past is fix problems as they've come up, but we have 17 bridges on the carriage road system. What's really needed and what we're just getting going is a cyclic maintenance program so that problems don't become worse and worse. It's a just a regular monitoring and ongoing maintenance of the bridges. My name is Mike Fitzpatrick and I'm a mason and I work at Acadia National Park. We have a hammer that we tap the mortar joints with. That's solid. Right here, that's coming out, that hollow sound. Inside there, it's all crumbling, and that needs to come out and be replaced. There are samples of original mortar for each bridge that's kept in the archives of the park, and the masons who do this work will go to the archives, 
pulled the samples for each bridge and then used that to make new mortar, mainly matching the color and composition so that it's suitable for each bridge. Portland, the sand, and the lime is always the same. The thing that varies is the aggregate, which is mixed in there to give it the right color. We sift our sand to get the bad aggregate out, the colors we don't want. We sift through the dirt to get the colors that we do want. And then we have our ratios, how much aggregate are we gonna add to our mix. We fill in all the mortar that we took out with this mix that we determined was closest to the original mix. For historic preservation, the work that needs to be done has to maintain the integrity of the historic materials. A portion of today's park fees also help fund the carriage road maintenance and annual projects including repairing stone walls and opening overgrown viewpoints. There are many ways to access the carriage roads on Mount Desert Island, including Jordan Pond, the north side of Eagle Lake, Bubble Pond, and Hull's Cove Visitor Center in Bar Harbor. Pedestrians, bicyclists, and horse-drawn carriages all enjoy the beauty of these auto-free roads in the park. Hikers can create loops with carriage roads and intersecting hiking trails, and in the winter, visitors can even cross-country ski or snowshoe on the roads. Bicyclists yield to all users, and everyone yields to horses. Bicycles and horses are not allowed on hiking trails, and all pets must be on a leash. Use caution around heavy machinery and trucks that may be used for carriage road maintenance. And finally, the carriage roads close every spring during mud season. Respecting these closures will help preserve the roads while they're vulnerable to ruts, potholes, and erosion. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lindsay Taylor, whose blog, The Curiosity Chronicles, can be found on the webpage for this episode. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.